All right. Hi, everybody. It's RCFB Talk 96. It's going to be myself, Bob Akhairi, as your host, along with my co-host, J.D. Moore. We're going to be talking about football in Japan. We're going to have a couple of great guests. I see them already joining up, so I'm going to go ahead and start letting folks up. We're going to be talking international football. So let me say, konnichiwa, bonjour, madame et monsieur. Hola, amigos, priviet, marhaba, shalom, buona giorno, hamidi khoshamadit. But Japan's had college football, or actually it's had football, for over 80 years. It's not quite as big as baseball or soccer, but well over 100 college football teams regularly play across several divisions. Plus, there's the X-League, and we'll get into that in a moment. You'll occasionally see posts about college games on RCFB, often late at night, and they have a, a following here. I wouldn't say a huge following, but a significant enough following that they keep pervasively continuing on. And international competitions, Japan always seems to compete well with other football-playing nations like Canada, Mexico, and Europe. Not quite the United States, but that's them's the breaks when you're competing internationally. This is a show I've personally wanted to do for a while. It took a bit to find the ideal guests, the language barrier, and culturally there's some shyness about English, and that slowed it down a little bit. But I, we found not only one, but two ideal guests for a conversation tonight. B.J. Beattie grew up in Hawaii, where he was a standout high school player, three-star linebacker, all of that. Went on to Colorado, where he redshirted and played from 2007 to 2010. He found his way to Japan, where he played in the X-League for the Obik Seagulls, was an all-X-League team member several times. He recently retired from playing. He settled down in Japan with his family, where he also co-hosts the Gridiron Japan show with our other guest, who I'll get to in a second, and Greg James. He recently became an assistant coach at the University of Tokyo, who are the Warriors. And by the way, if you know anything about academics, University of Tokyo is it's one of the top schools in the world. John Gunning, well, anyone who follows Sumo, as some of us do in the offseason here at RCFB, know his name and know his work. He's one of the leading English language reporters covering the sport. He's a columnist for the Japan Times, commentator on broadcast for NHK and NHK World, as well as contributing to CNN, BBC, HBO, etc. But it's not just sumo. He covers a lot of sports, including football, where he's a part of Inside Sport Japan. He's also sexy, cool, and beloved by all. <laughs> so, hey, JT, have you had a chance to make it up? Yes, we are here and very excited to talk to our fantastic guests about college football in Japan. Aloha ahiahi and aloha kakiaka to you all for this fantastic conversation. Very, very excited to talk to, you know, not only a guy who from Kahuku, I could talk about Hawaii prep football all day long, but especially be able to talk sumo a little bit with John Gunning. I'm very, very excited for this conversation, but man, I am so amped about this one. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be here, guys. Thanks a million for inviting me. Uh, pleasure to get on and get to talk about football in Japan with an international audience. Uh, it's a passion of mine, of course, and uh, don't get to talk about it enough, so I'm grateful for the opportunity. And thanks for putting in the uh, sexy, cool, and beloved by all as well. Uh, the, checks in, <laughs> the checks in the mail. <laughs> yeah, thanks for, um, thanks for having me on. You know, excited to, to talk football, you know, just in general. Um, you know, John, Sean said cool and sexy, but in Japan, he's the most interesting man here. Like, honestly, I mean, you guys have, I, I can give you the player perspective, but John can probably run history of Japan and football more than anyone I know here. So, yeah, just excited to, to get going. Yeah, I've, I've gone down a rabbit hole over the last few years. Uh, Japanese football has 
you guys probably know there isn't a lot of information in English and there hasn't been historically. So uh, buying old magazines, searching out old programs on eBay and various auction sites, buying stuff. I've been coming across an incredible treasured trove of information and just sharing bits of it as, as I come across it, you know, games and players and things that happened over the past 80 odd years. And you said earlier in your introduction, there's over 100 teams in Japan. There are actually 205 college teams in Japan. And then there are several like semi-pro leagues. So football here is, yeah, if you consider it to be a rabbit hole, I mean, it's one that I haven't even close to seeing the end of yet. So uh, there, there's a lot. There's a lot we can talk about. Absolutely. And I would love to start the questions off with BJ, because again, you and I shared very similar stomping grounds growing up. So you grew up in Kaava, went to Kahuku High. I actually grew up down on the Mackay side of Oahu, probably about equidistance between uh, Kaiser and Kalani High School. So down on that east side of Honolulu. I'm very fascinated with your journey, starting from Kahuku, then you went and you played at Colorado, and then you've gotten now into Japan, not just as a player, but as a coach, I would absolutely love to know where this journey took you to not just the mainland, but to go into Japan to really find your own calling. What originally drew you to Japan and what's been keeping you there? Oh, I mean, you know, we're from Hawaii, right? And just what is the biggest right market as far as tourists we get, right, is the Asian market. Um, I grew up thinking so many things we took for like, I grew up thinking, like, taking your shoes off when you entered your house, I thought that was Hawaiian. I grew up honestly thinking that was, like, a Hawaiian thing. The Japanese word for octopus, taco, like, there's so much influence. And it was always there. I took Japanese in high school. Actually, um, not much of it I retained. Uh, you know, and the opportunity came through a good family friend who was a former Obik uh, head coach in the 90s, I want to say. Uh, Coach David Stan, he also coached at um, Kamehameha. He was at Kamehameha at the time. And yeah, he came over and I was just recovering. I was trying to rehab through an injury that I that I was going through. And and he asked me, he was like, there's there's an opportunity to j- play in Japan. And, like, what do you think? And I, I told him, hell yeah, like when and where? Like, you know, football is football to me. And, you know, that led to um, a sit down with... and. You know, and I tell this story, I forgot to say this. I was I was actually a tour guide at Kualoa Ranch at the time. I was doing ATV tours, and I was supposed to go to work that day. And I get the phone call at about 6.30 in the morning from Uncle Dave saying, hey, they're coming over. They'll be here at 9 o'clock. I call into Kualoa Ranch and said, hey, I'm not coming. And they're like, oh, what's wrong? I was like, I got something better to do today. And that's literally what I – that was the excuse I gave my – my manager and he was like oh that's not good enough I was like well too bad and had to sit down with uh, the current head coach uh, Makoto Ohashi and probably the GOAT of players when it comes to Japan and the ex-league Kevin Jackson who played at the University of Hawaii sat down with them had a good talk and they wanted to bring me out a month later and I walked into Kuala Ranch the next day said I'm quitting <laughs> And just came over to Japan and I've, you know, I've, I've had my good moments. I've had my bad moments and I've just, you know, I, I, I want to say I left the game in a better place and it's just been an exciting, like, you know, the, um, 
I can't even describe. There's not enough time for me to describe just how thankful and just how much it's meant to be able to continue to play this game for as long as I did. You know, you talk about me coming from Kohuku, like I was a little, you know, I wasn't supposed to, I wasn't supposed to go as far as I did in my football career, let's put it that way, when I first started. Yeah, and you cuz you come from a family that plays a lot of football. I mean, obviously your father, coach and also, you know, linebacker who played for BYU and your Maternal uncle, you know, first round pick out of Colorado himself and, and even was interim coach of the Rainbow Warriors for a few games there after Norm Chow was let go. So you come from a very strong football playing family from Hawaii. Yeah, but, you know, like, like you know, and it's funny that I ended up here in Japan because everybody always talks about how big, you know, like, oh, you're so big or so that. And I'm like, I never started out this big. I, you know, my you talk about my dad and my uncle and they're definitely... They're definitely the reason why I, I got as far as I did. They helped me with the mentality. They helped me with the skill sets that I needed. Um, I was definitely very lucky in that sense. Um, yeah, but it was, it was you know, like JD knows, and on, on our side of the island, like, there's a joke. You could rob, on Friday nights, if there's a game, you could rob the entire North Shore because no one's home. Like, that is not even, that's not a joke. That's pretty much, you could pretty much rob us blind because everybody's at the games. Um, but the, yeah, that was also pressure though. You know, um, my dad, I'm named after my dad and I actually had Pop Warner coaches tell me like, how are you your father's son? You know, I've, I've had people tell me that and, and it was a decision I had to make at that moment, right? Am I going to, am I going to sit in his shadow my whole life or, or am I going to, you know, step out of it? And, you know, luckily they pushed me enough to where I did step out of it. And I mean, yeah, it's, <laughs> it is seriously insane that I played as long as I did. Absolutely. And I mean, you are spot on when you talk about, you know, the split of once you have those night games hitting on the North Shore, everybody is out at a Kahuku game. One of the things that I think not a lot of people realize is, you know, you hear on the mainland, you know, you have the private schools that pump out all this talent. Like you hear stuff about like Marcus Mariota coming from St. Louis or the Tagovailoa brothers or all those other guys coming out of those preps like Manti Teo out of Punahou or something else like that. But Kahuku has been that dominating force in the public sector for so, so long. I mean, you're talking about, you know, you have, I think it's like eight current championships right now in division one and a ton in the open as well and that's literally just since 99 you don't even have to go that far to know how culturally significant kahuku football is to hawaii and what kind of pipeline it's churned out with so many nfl players and what that really means for those guys growing up on the north shore what it means to be a red raider and to don those colors on a friday night i absolutely love the fact that i just get to nerd out about all this type of stuff but you know more than I do in the fact that this generates a type of generational expectation and it creates a generational growth for all these guys who end up donning those Kahuku uniforms. What did that growth at Kahuku bring you for your college football career and ultimately your coaching career? Well, I found out early, right? Um, so I was a three, I was, I didn't really know this until maybe a few years ago, but I was the first three-year starter at Kahuku, and I didn't know that until maybe about three or four years ago. Um, what that helped me was learn, you know, when I got to Colorado, right, everybody everybody was player of the year. Everybody was all state. Everybody was all 
this, all that. And I already had the early experience to, you know, the, the, the starter is better than me. The starter is more physically gifted than me. But how am I going to take, you know, he's my teammate, but how am I going to get on the field? How am I going to get my starting role? You know, I had to deal with that already in high school. When I got to Colorado, you know, I had the guy in front of me. He played and he played in the NFL. He's a Super Bowl champion. Brad Jones played for the Packers. Um, I had to kind of like mirror him in a bit and how he operated, how he watched film, how he how he did all that. And, you know, I used all my experience of having to to outwork the guys, out, you know, outplay the guys, out hustle the guys. And that helped me, you know, get over that hump and get into a starting role at Colorado. And I think just having that, you know, that mentality where I can't settle and things like that is also what helped me play for so long here in Japan. That makes sense. You know, John, we want to bring you into this as well. And I just wanted to kind of, because we we're getting a bit about obviously BJ's start, which is more of, you know, somewhat more relatable to our audience, especially in the United States. But I, you know, I've always been curious, especially I know high school football isn't necessarily as big in Japan. So is that, is there, for kids growing up there, is there a competition between, I don't know, this is, again, possibly my own ignorance, like sumo or things, sports like that, do, that, do they tend to attract big men more? Or how is that, what sort of explains sort of the lack, or not the lack of interest, but how high school doesn't quite have the grasp that it does at the college level? Yeah, that's a really interesting question because when you say it's not big, you're right in the sense that it wouldn't be well-known even among, we'll say, football people uh, in Japan or especially internationally. But I mean, it, it's there, and there's definitely a very widespread uh, high school, junior high school, and even elementary school football scene. And as in a lot of other places around the world, of course, flag football is, you know, exploding, growth going through the roof. Japan has... Japan is a, is a weird country for football because, like, as, as you mentioned, Japan has never lost to any country outside of the US or Canada in its entire history at either club or international level, at senior level. So Japan dominates everywhere else, but still can't beat the States because obviously the US has you know, professional football and you know, many, many times more high-level players than we do here. So... It's a really high-level sport, and it's played at a relatively high level all the way through. But it's really hidden. You know, I think we did a, a conference about three or four years ago where Nielsen, the big uh, company that does all the research on sport, estimated that American football was the 47th most popular sport in Japan. So it's, it was behind all kinds of things like speed walking and, you know, figure skating and all, all, all kinds of stuff that you'd never heard of, like recreational sports. So it's not a sport that's widely known and widely followed, but those that do it, do it at a very high level. And there are structures in place from the early age, and there are high school systems, junior high school systems, and tournaments at all levels. And I think that's one of the reasons why the X-League, I think it's obviously the major reason why the X-League is, is so strong and Japan is so strong relative to every other non-US country is because players are brought, a lot, a huge percentage of the players who play here come into the sport as kids. So you have people like Aaron Ellis, uh, who is playing quarterback now in uh, the second tier in Japan, 
And he's saying things like he saw more coverages in his first game in Japan in the second year among the secondary than he did in five years in Europe at all levels, including their highest leagues there. So the football IQ is very, very high here. And the level of the game is played at a very high level, but it's hidden away. So people don't even know about it. So I'm not surprised that you didn't know about the high school football, because even the people who follow football in Japan wouldn't be familiar with that level. What do you think football in Japan can do to continue to grow? I mean, that's kind of a broad question, but it, it's something I find interesting too. I know, I think over time it's grown a bit and even the interest. I know I read an interview with BJ that crowds he noticed over time had grown larger. I mean, we're not talking enormous crowds, but they've gone from you know in the hundreds to the thousands, which is an improvement. So what sort of things do you think football can do to grow as a sport within Japan, John? It's actually gone the other way, to be honest with you. If you there was a Sports Illustrated podcast recently that did a thing on the football boom in the wake of the Mainichi Star Bowl, I think when the Cardinals and the Chargers came here in '76. So football experienced a really big boom from the '70s to the '90s in Japan, and in the 1990s it was televised. You had Joe Montana coming over every spring for the preseason spring tournament. He was the face of that tournament. You had large crowds, you would have maybe 20, 30,000 people for games that didn't count for the standings. You know, college football was selling out. And you had a lot of teams that were backed by big financial institutions. A lot of the banks, almost all of the banks that existed at the time, sponsored a football team and, you know, financed them pretty well. And then you had the financial crash at the end of the 1990s, and a lot of those banks pulled out and withdrew sponsorship. Football went off television. And it's a shadow of what it was in the 1990s as the level, it's, it's this weird inverse curve where the level has continuously and progressively gone up and the level of Americans and imports who started coming in in the early 2000s just went through the roof. I think we had 35 of 37 three years ago had some kind of NFL experience or came from D1 FBS programs, which is you know unheard of in any other semi-pro league around the world. And... You know, just the level of the team, you can see the Japan team is, you know, going toe-to-toe with the Spring League in March 2020. The level has definitely risen continuously, but the popularity and the awareness of the sport, you know, experienced a fairly significant decline from the end of the 90s. As to what it can do, I mean, there are a whole host of things. But, like, you, you ask anyone involved in the sport here who is, you know, doesn't have control or doesn't have their hands on the levers of power... It's banging your head against a wall trying to get stuff. There, there are too many cooks, basically, too many people who have influence and say, and the game is too fractured without centralized control. But getting it the sport on television, you know, capitalizing on the fact that you have military, U.S. military bases in the country with a large football-loving audience, which is constantly refreshed, you know, thousands and thousands of. U.S. military personnel that you could be bringing to games that aren't even aware that football takes place in Japan. That's an audience that I think absolutely should be exploited because they're obviously going to like cycle back to the U.S. and spread the word. I think you continuously grow your audience there. Getting on TV is still a huge thing, obviously, in Japan. You want, you want to try and get the games in front. But there, there are a lot of different things. It's, there's a sort of a catch-22 situation where the money isn't there. And without the money, it's hard to, to grow. But you know, I think a little more centralized management and a little bit better long-term planning. Japan could have a football league. Japan could have 
if if the investment and the effort was put in, Japan could have a CFL like league or even a, a higher level CFL league because obviously we have a much bigger population, much larger economy than Canada has. So football in the 1990s was probably bigger than rugby. And now rugby in Japan is massive and it has, you know, a professional league that pays the highest salaries in the world. So, and also soccer, 1993, they brought in a professional league and now the J League in Japan attracts great talent and it's, you know, this huge, probably this almost on a level that baseball is at. So, you know, it's funny, John. Yeah. Yeah, as as I'm talking, I'm wearing a uh, 2019 Rugby World Cup shirt for the All Blacks from when it was in Japan. So <laughs> I know I know you've covered that. You've covered that particular. Yeah, World I was Cup on well. the on the field for most of those games, including the final. And you know that re- you see these massive crowds and the worldwide attention. And rugby as a sport is obviously it had, there are more countries where it's at a major level, but the actual overall figures it's very f- similar to football on a global level. So Japan could definitely have that kind of thing. We could have a CFL. There could be a third. Well, now, obviously, with the USFL, there's a, there's a third professional league. But there could be a fourth professional league in the world, and it could be in Japan, and it could be the second best one if the effort was put in. You know, one just one quick follow-up on that last kind of comment about the way the money sort of dipped. Was that tied into the bubble economy? Because I'm old enough to have remembered the roaring Japanese economy of the 1980s and how it just sort of came to a screeching halt you know, around 91, 92. Because, I mean, my first visit to Japan was right before that happened. So is is that, because, I mean, when you bring up the banks sponsoring the teams and putting in all the money, and mm. you, you mentioned the 90s, I mean, like, anyone who knows anything about Japan knows the 90s were a pretty dark time economically, especially for that kind of hubris that we saw in the 80s around the world from the roaring Japanese economy. Yeah, I would say that, obviously, the 80s were the bubble period, you know, where, you know, people lighting cigars with $100 bills type of situation, you know, or 10,000 yen bills, I should say. But uh, it probably didn't really hit football until the mid-90s. I mean, it was still, you know, it wasn't at its peak in the early 90s, but football was still big in the 90s. It was probably the thing that dealt the death blow to it was the 98 financial crash, 97, 98, where... uh, uh, the markets collapsed, and so that was the financial crisis that affected the banks in Japan most, and they were obviously the sponsors of the football team. So uh, that was when the sea change took place, and I think it was a, a gradual decline, uh, as I said, in, in probably just awareness of the sport in general. So I think if more people knew about the sport, it would be more popular. But it's like rugby as well. There is a there's a hurdle to entry, if you know what I mean. So there are certain sports like soccer that are very simple. It's basically, you know, 11 versus 11, kicking a ball into a net. So there isn't really a lot to learn. Whereas with football and rugby, there is definitely a lot more you need to know to understand what's going on on the field. And even still these days at rugby games in Japan and football games in Japan or on commentary on TV, the commentators will explain what penalties are and what they mean. Things that you just don't see in NFL coverage, you know. So you want to get them explaining, oh, well, a holding means that he held on to the player and didn't let him go, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, there's a barrier to entry, obviously, for new fans. But still, I don't think that's big enough to stop the sport becoming as big or bigger than it once was. 
John, I'm curious, as you mentioned, you know, these announcers will go into detail about what these penalties are or they aren't. And this is a question for BJ as well. What would be some of those differences that we might see in Japanese football that we would see in perhaps U.S. football? Are we looking at any differences in field dimension, in the way that the game is played? Is there anything structure-wise that is distinctly different in Japanese football than we would see over here in the States? Well, I leave BJ to talk about how the referees deal with stuff on the field, but I'll just say the leagues in Japan basically follow the NCAA rules, so everything is more or less the same, even in the X-League, that it would be in college football in Japan, uh, in the US, uh, with the exception maybe of things like, it's much more tightly adjudicated, so even if you spike the ball after a catch, you'll get a, an unsportsmanlike penalty for that. But uh, yeah, I think that's, that's the key to switch over to BJ, because BJ is the man who knows all about getting flagged on stuff. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, I was, I was very notorious. I will say this, though. I was always described as aggressive. I was never... No one, no one could ever say I was dirty. I will say that. No one could ever claim that. But, I mean, just to give you a rundown, my very first game, uh, quarterback, they tried to run a read option out of the pistol, and I completely annihilate the running back i put my head right in his chest and his cleats kicked me in the back of my helmet flags come flying so you know me being naive i'm thinking i i'm brand new to japan i don't know all this i've, I've heard that the refs can be you know um especially particular to the foreigners um and so i'm walking back to the huddle and i hear my number in japanese i didn't really know too much all i hear was you know, 23, Niju San. And I was like, what? On me? And I'm thinking, like, I didn't grab his face mask. I didn't, you know, I was like, what? And KJ was losing it. KJ was losing it. My head coach was losing it. And I was like, what are you guys mad about? They're like, they just gave you a personal foul. I was like, me? And I was like, yeah, the ref said that your hit was too aggressive. Oh, my gosh. That was literally the ref's description. There was no targeting. This was 2012. So there's no targeting yet. There was none targeting yet. And, yeah, that's, you know, and and it's actually gotten better. Um, The referees, yeah, they can miss some stuff and things like that. But I will say there, my early in my career, there were some refs that definitely wanted to control the game. Like, they they wanted you to just know that I run this and everything like that. Like, um, probably not a well-known one is uh, I got ejected out of the IBM game and, I asked, I politely asked the ref, I was like, for what? What was the first penalty on? And he runs up into my face and starts screaming at me. He was like, you know what you did, da 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 And I was like, okay. And I turn around, and I'm walking through my teammates, and I literally go, I'm sorry for the sensitive listeners, I literally go to not looking at the ref, I'm just looking, like, thinking to myself, I go, what the fuck? And he throws another flag. Oh, and his explanation was like, BJ just told me, fuck you. And I looked at him like, no, you did not. And and I got ejected out of that game for that. And my head coach was, you know, trying to debate for me and stuff like that. And, you know, the ref was like, no, he's gone. And, and then I did something that, that kind of got me in trouble, which is, you know, why I had a reputation with the refs. But some refs loved me and stuff like that. I actually got to, I get to talk to them now. Now that I'm at the University of Tokyo, I talk to them before games and stuff like that. A lot of them are great guys, but that one ref in particular, I don't know. I, I don't know what I did to him. 
But I remember before I left the stadium, I was like, I didn't say fuck you then, but I will say it now. So this whole stadium knows I did it. And I did in front of the whole team. And the best part was my teammates were laughing. <laughs> yeah, you know, I remember because in your own words, you had a reputation as being like a bad man of the league. And, and is it just because of the aggressive play and, and kind of confusing sort of, you know, folks in Japan who assumed you were like that all the time? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I was, you know, JD talked about it. I was raised to play this game one way. And in Japan, when I first got here, like that wasn't, you know, now and like, I don't want to say I was the guy. I want to say I kind of had a, a hand in influencing it. Like, you watch the X League now. Heck, you watch the college kids. I see some college kids now. And, like, they get up and they pump their chest. They pound their chest. They're doing all the, you know, the, the cool dances now and things like that. You know, flexing. I see all of it now. And I'm just like, yeah, this is, this is how it, it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to play aggressive. Play within the rules, obviously. Don't play dirty, but play aggressive. Like, that's what the, the, the greatest part about this sport. You know, when I first got out here, like, so I played IBM for the first time. And Kevin Kraft was Kevin Kraft was the quarterback for them. He was lighting up the league. And, and I sacked him. And I remember I got in his face just because I wanted to be in his head. And I got in his face and I told him, you better get comfortable because I'm going to be in your face all day. My own teammate told me, we don't do that. You don't do that. And I looked at my teammate was like, no, this is how I play. So you better get used to it. Like, I'm not, this is how we, you just how you play football. So, you know, that was some of the challenges I had to deal early on with, just having to navigate that road. Excellent. You know, I'm just going to do a quick station ID. This is RCFB Talk 96. We're talking football in Japan with BJ Beattie and John Gunning. We had a couple of callers. I wanted to allow one, at least uh, mix in a few. Wondertaker, you've been really patient. What's up? Hey, thanks for bringing me on. Can you hear me okay? Sure can. Great. Uh, first off, I wanted to ask John, where are you from? I uh, I think, well, he's Irish. Oh, okay. <laughs> I could say that much. I, yeah, I, he's, from, he's from Ireland originally. Oh, uh, yeah. Moved over here to do Zoom. Oh, here he is. That's great. I, I can't hear anything. Is somebody saying something? Uh, he, <laughs> asked you where you're, he asked you where you're from originally. Really? You can hear? I can't hear. This. Yeah, I'm from Ireland originally. I uh, lived in the States and Italy before, but I've been in Japan for uh, 21, 21, 22 years now at this stage. That's great. I, I love the game going global, so that's why I'm so interested in the conversation tonight. Well, first of all, I just want to say I'm from Oregon, and we've had a long tradition, at least... Uh, if somebody's speaking, I can't hear anything right oh, now. Just one? Oh, that's so weird. Well, we can we can hear it, John. You know, I'll tell you what, Wondertaker, just go ahead and I'll I'll convey the question. It won't be a problem. I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. Uh, I was just going to say I'm, I'm from Oregon and we have a team, uh, a small town here called Ashland, and they have a long tradition of playing Japanese all-star teams back and forth over in Japan, over in Ashland. Um, I'm, I don't think they do it anymore, but they they started doing it in the 80s. And so I was wondering, first off, was what is the high school situation like in Japan? How are they feeding the college programs over there to obviously get better and better? Oh, that's a good question. And I, I can convey that to you, John, if you didn't hear it. So I've heard about this, what our guest, he's from Oregon, and he mentioned that Ashland, 
has that high school kind of game where they play with Japanese all-stars on a regular basis. I know that's been for a number of years now. And there was kind of a question, and it's, we sort of touched on this earlier, on how there's that kind of build-up to build teams like that. And in Japan, those kinds of that high school development that goes towards it because he's familiar with those teams that would play Ashland. Okay. So, yeah, so that game actually started, I think that was Chuck Mills, was it? Um, I think so, because I was thinking of Chuck as well, because Chuck um, brought the first American football team to Japan with Utah State, and then obviously he he settled in uh, for some of his career, and he recently passed. He's an admirable guy in every sense, but yeah, he was was coaching, I think, for Southern Oregon? um, That's right, Southern Oregon Raiders, I think uh, KG Fighters went to Oregon and played the Southern Oregon Raiders in 1985. I think they were an NAIA team at that time. And uh, after that, they had that kind of morphed then into the Pacific Rim Bowl. Yeah, that's called uh, where we had like high school teams coming. But even up to recently, you know, you have the U.S. military high schools dotted around the Pacific, Guam, Saipan, you know, Korea, places like that. So they, there are tournaments where they play sort of all-star games against Japanese high school teams as well. Um, that's played pre-COVID. That was played up to, I think the last one was like 2019, maybe. I mean, even you had the former prime minister of Japan at that game at, at uh, one of the military bases here. But yeah, so there is definitely... Um, yeah, the, the high school and the college level, the teams have probably had more outreach historic. Well, obviously, they had, like a little bit like the football in the US, the college game was big here long before the pro game or the, the semi-pro game is, is, became popular. So they've had links going back to 1934, basically, with, with foreign teams. And yeah, Japanese colleges and schools have played, obviously, KG Fighters is probably the one that's best known the most successful college program here. They've played in Mexico. They've played against Princeton twice. They've played against yeah, Southern Oregon. Uh, they've been fairly proactive about playing teams from other countries. And a lot of the high school, there's obviously the international bowl and stuff like that. So at the underage level, there are definitely more international links and games going on. Because obviously at that level, the differences aren't as pronounced. You know, you don't, it's not like the NFL versus the X League, which would just wouldn't happen under any circumstances. So. Hey, thanks for the question, though. That was really, we appreciate it. And thanks for listening. Okay. So, you know, I just want to ask a, a follow-up question just on the X League structure. Also, I know college does this, too, because there's promotion and relegation in those leagues, isn't there? There is promotion and relegation at all levels of football, pretty much outside of the U.S. So in Europe and in Japan, they... You have two big systems, right, in sports. I mean, obviously, a lot of people will know this, but just to, to go through them. So the U.S. has basically what is a, a kind of communist <laughs> kind of system where it's a closed loop and all the money is shared between all of the teams and there's no promotion or relegation. So that's, that's what the NFL uses. That's what a major American sports use. They use a franchise system uh, where everyone is sharing the same pot. Whereas in Europe and in Japan and other countries, it's basically like complete free marketism. So basically, the teams with the most money in soccer or whatever can just buy all the best players. That's why you would have leagues like 
Scotland, where only two teams have won over the last hundred years, essentially, or like you know Spain, where you have Real Madrid and Barcelona, and that's basically it. So, in f- American football in Europe and in Japan, it's more or less the same kind of system. With probably because there isn't as much money, you don't have the pronounced differences. But um, yeah, there's promotion and relegation. So the bottom teams in the top division will face the top teams in the second tier and then second tier, third tier, third tier, fourth tier, depending on how many divisions your league has. In the X-League, there are four divisions. So basically, that's the way it works. So in this year's system, the way they've set it up, of the 12 teams in the top division, the bottom four will play off and the two losers uh, from those games will then have to face the top two teams from the second tier. Uh, to see if they can hold their place. And the winners of those games will get to go into the top division uh, or stay in the top division. And then, yeah, it's the same in college football. The bottom team usually in each division plays off against the top one in the lower division. So you can have a lot of movement. You can have teams that are powerhouses or that did very well. I mean, we were just talking about it recently. Club Bears in the 1990s was a team that was you know, facing off against the top teams in Japan, going toe-to-toe with Panasonic. And now they're four divisions lower down and they barely have, you know, enough players to get onto the field at any one time. So, yeah, fortunes rise and fall definitely in football. And uh, it's interesting to see how uh, teams manage that because there isn't the safety net. There isn't the safety net that you'll always be in the top division that exists in American sports. I found that fascinating because I've been, you know, following college football at the very least in Japan for about, oh, five, seven years or so. And you'll see there'll be teams that kind of hover on that level of there'll be division one, they'll lose. And of course, as you point out, and that's the part I always get a kick out of. It's not automatic promotion relegation. It's like, okay, if you have an off year, you're the bottom of division one or division two, you have to then play the top team from division two or division three. But if you manage to beat them, you stay in your division. But um, then... Yeah. Sorry, that's... Sometimes, I I should have probably said this, that it depends on the system. Sometimes you will have situations where the very bottom team will be automatically relegated, but the second team then will go into the playoffs. So you do occasionally have situations where the very bottom team is punished by just being dropped down automatically. But uh, yeah, it's more common for there to be a playoff. So... The playoff system kind of ensures that you don't have a team that's doing really well in the second tier, but is just not good enough to survive in the top division, actually ends up in that division. Absolutely. You know, I wanted to just kind of steer back to you, BJ, for a second, because you have first-person experience in this. How does the import player system work in the X League? Um, I mean, a lot of it is kind of word of mouth. Um not word of mouth or just kind of, you know, the connections that you have and things like that. I think now when I first got out there now, I think teams are starting to go search on, um, you know, early on, there was a lot of Hawaii guys, a lot of West coast guys, because I think teams were thinking guys don't want to come from too far where now you look across, right. There's guys from the South, there's guys from the East coast. So, you know, Ian's listening and he's from, you know, the Northeast, and things like that. And, you know, you're getting guys from that side. And I think now the, the search is going um, nationwide. Um, it's always interesting, though, how guys come across. Like, you know, myself, I knew somebody who used to coach here. Um, I just sat down with Ian. Ian sent out an a email to Lixo 
thinking he wasn't going to get an answer back and he gets an answer back. Guys, you know, um, some teams have held like combines, you know, at high schools um, back in the States. I've known that. And it's just, you know, there's there's all kinds of ways that people find the X League and they find themselves here in Japan. How many import players are each team allowed? Is it four? So you're allowed four and only two can be on the field at the same time. Um, some teams you'll see like Panasonic, right, where there's guys who played in the States, but they're on the field all at the same time. Those guys are either – so there's two ways to kind of loophole it. There's you have a Japan passport, so you were born here. So some of the guys are are born here, or one of their parents are a Japanese national, and they have their Japan passport. Or like my younger brother, who I played with at Obik, he went to um, Nichidai, which is a college. It's one of the well, they're struggling this year, but it was one of the top college programs. He went there, graduated. He could play, and he wouldn't count as a foreigner. Um, at least as far as on the field. So there's there was kind of ways to loophole that. But yeah, you're allowed four four slots and usually usually teams go two offense, two defense. I know that typically you're going to probably recruit out of a prospecting base that's in the United States. But do we see any other foreign nationals, like maybe pulling out of Canadian leagues or Mexican leagues or other Asian market uh, at all for these import players? I think this year we had the first one, right, John? Um, he came from England, right? Who plays yeah. with Ian. He plays with Ian. So, yeah, you're talking about Joe Morton, right? So Joe Morton came from a British academy. He's a Scottish-Serbian heritage. He played for, I think it's in Bristol. There's an academy, a football academy there. He is, there are 40 import players uh, not counting, like as BJ said, anyone who's graduated from a Japanese university who has Japanese nationality, they don't count. So just Americans with no connection to Japan or Japanese football, there are 40 in the X-League. Uh, 39 of them are American. One guy is Scottish-Serbian. He's not the first ever non-American. We had uh, Jared Stegman, who was Australia's quarterback. He played here for a while. And at the, in some of the lower divisions as well, you'll have... Guys, we talked to Colton Runyon. Um, actually, no, he's American as well. But there, there are a few like British guys or people trying out at the lower divisions. But at the top division, of the 40 that are there currently, I just have the stats here in front of me, 15 of them, 38%, have some kind of NFL experience, either uh, off-season games or spent time with a, an NFL team in, in minicamp or in training camp. Seven of them have which is 18% of CFL experience. And if you're talking about college football, so of the 40 players who are here this year, 22 of them are D1 FBS. That's 55%. Uh, another 18% is D1 FCS. And then you have very, very few from the lower division, six from D2, two from D3, and two from NAIA. So almost to a man over the last few years. I think it's changed a little bit because of COVID and, and financial situations, but essentially up to about 2019, if you didn't have some kind of NFL experience, if you hadn't spent time with an NFL team or you didn't come from a big D1 FBS program, it was very hard to even get an answer from a Japanese team because there are only four slots, uh, two on the field at the same time. And there are so few 
football opportunities for guys coming out of D1 FBS schools, especially pre-USFL or XFL. I mean, you're either in the NFL or the CFL or that's it. You're not really getting paid. Uh, so the X-League was hugely attractive. And so they had their pick and choice, essentially, of players. One thing to note is if you played in an NFL regular season game, you're ineligible for the X-League because then you're considered a full professional. So you can only play up to the fourth preseason game. If you're on a game day roster, you, don't, you can't join. So there, yesterday we talked to Toshiki Sato, who's the Toronto Argonauts. Myself and BJ were talking to him on the Gridiron Japan podcast. He's the backup kicker for the Toronto Argonauts. And he was saying that they should really change that rule for the CFL. So it would be good if they brought in more Canadians or you know the X-League and the CFL linked up more and had some more player swaps going that way. I think it would benefit both leagues. But... Yeah, still essentially, you know, we, we get contacted all the time, daily, by people saying, you know, I lit it up when I was in high school, I haven't played for 10 yep. years, but, you know, I, I would destroy those guys. And you're like, no, you wouldn't, man. There are people here from that have played at Michigan, that have played at UCLA, <laughs> Georgia, and there's, you know, you know, Devin Gardner, who you, everyone probably knows, you know, he's now, he's just won an Emmy Award this year. He's, you know, hosting a lot of, you know, primetime college football stuff. Yeah, uh, in the U.S., he was quarterback for Michigan. He has spent time with the Steelers and with the Patriots. When he was in Japan, I mean, he didn't have a lot of help around him. But his last game, I think BJ's team picked him off six times in the playoffs. So, you know, you're talking seven. You're talk, was it seven? I thought it was seven. six. Really? I got the I got the seventh one. <laughs> well, six only counted in the stats. So, I mean, there you go. They're they're putting you down again, man. <laughs> but what I did he was like too Devin, aggressive he was too yeah. aggressive with the interception it didn't he, count he picked the ball <laughs> off too quickly um I'm gl- there, sorry but sorry the I'm whole glad point Gardner I'm just didn't have to make, help yeah well no he didn't but I mean you're talking because about a guy he was who, really freaking good like yeah I'm glad it. he didn't have an O-line that could protect him I'm glad he didn't really have the weapons because if he did he he would have been a problem like the dude was good and like, yeah, like oh. John was saying, to get a guy, it was an arms race at one point. It mm. was an arms race. I mean, you had, right, you had Gardner, you had Kobe Cameron come in. You had, it was insane at some at one point. It was, you know, and it was, it was cutthroat too. You know, there it were was, and in. yeah, it's, you know. Guys coming in one year, they don't win, gone. You know, there's guys yep. who've been on a team for five years. They have one bad game. Team cuts them. Go find the replacement. Like it was, I want to say from 2015 to 2019, it was an arms race, and it's kind of slowed down. And I think COVID played in that, but it was it was an insane um, rotating door at one point. I'm glad you mentioned that because I noticed that, you know, for example, someone like Woozy from Hawaii, he came over and then he was on a team. And then I was reading like he'd swapped X League teams and the article I read said he was cut by the other team. I'm like, wow, that was that was fast after like a season. So is that part of that? Because I mean, uh, I mean, you remember that quarterback, don't you, J.D.? He was one of he was he was in Hawaii for years and years. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, again, to see kind of that opportunity for him as well, I think that really kind of speaks to the key that John had spoken earlier of, you know, everybody would assume that if you're playing overseas, you kind of just assume like, oh, these were people who like 
couldn't cut it in an American league or something else like that. But in reality, these are talented people who are coming out and playing at a very high level in Japan as well. And I think that's been one of the fascinating things for me to see, you know, not just guys like BJ who, you know, are able to find their own identity there, but all of these other guys who also find their own success in Japan as well. Uh, It's been for quite a long time, a fantastic place to watch football. And I know, you know, we've advertised it several times, you know, three, four, 5 a.m. in the morning Eastern time over here in the States. But that is just one of several examples of the kind of talent that you get to see in this type of league. And I've absolutely loved being able to watch that. There's a there was a Harvard running back who was doing really well in Japan. Who was that? Gino Gino, <laughs> Gino Gordon. Gino Gordon. He's still doing really well in Japan. He's uh, retired now, but he's in the business world. He's uh, doing really really well. He's very successful, and he still has a lot of connections to the football here. He's brought in players and stuff like that. But yeah, so like you said, Ikaika Wuzi was actually on BJ's team. They were on uh, Obik together, and BJ was just talking about guys coming in. So they had Jerry Neuheisel, who's now uh, UCLA's receiver coach. He was a quarterback at UCLA. Then they went to Ikaika, who was uh, from Hawaii. Then they had um, Skylar Howard, who was at West Virginia. He was their quarterback. Then Jimmy Lockray, who was at Boise State. And now they have... Well, they have a wide receiver at quarterback now. They have Jason Smith from uh, Auburn, right? He was like the wide receiver at Auburn. So uh, they're playing. So, But, you know, that's the level of player that we're talking about. And that's the level of player that teams are, you know, cycling through and cutting. So, yeah, it's it's a pretty high. And a lot of the Japanese guys, your, your tweet that went viral this week about uh, the Kyoto gangsters. Yeah. Everyone was going crazy about the name. Machino, who is a, an offensive lineman for that college team, the Kyoto Gangsters, is now with uh, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. He's one of their offensive linemen. I think actually he started this week, maybe. So there's a lot of Japanese talent on the high level. Of a human. Yeah. He's Machino is a monster of a human. I have to admit, I've always wondered how, John, and maybe relate to this, how a guy like Hakuho, I mean, he's Mongolian, granted, but I mean, how he would do if he decided one day. I mean, he's probably past that age where he'd be able to do it. But imagine if he decided to become a football player. That guy is like an all super. I mean, he could have probably done any sport he wanted to do. He's just a natural freak. So I've talked an awful lot over the years about football and sumo. Obviously, they're my my two main passions, along with rugby. But I've taken NFL players. You know, I took Uchin Anwere, who was with the Jags for you know, a decade or so. Tutan Reyes as well, who was an offensive lineman in the NFL for a decade for Houston and the Jaguars and a few other teams. The two of them were here a few years ago and we went into Sumo Stable and they were practicing. And my experience has always been, especially in Europe as well, of the guys who play amateur football in Europe also do sumo. Sumo and the offensive line play in football is very, very similar. A lot of the same principles apply a lot of the same techniques apply it's essentially run blocking where you're just moving an opponent from point a to point b against his will as they say so i've the nfl guys that i've taken into sumo stables that have jumped in and messed around in the ring they say oh yeah this is all of the same stuff the only things that are really different is that you keep your feet flat in sumo rather than being up on your toes because you don't have to run down the field or anything like that so Someone like Hakuho or, you know, some of these guys who've dominated in sumo, 
I think if they went into football at a young enough age, they could probably succeed. But the only difference is that football, the biggest obstacle, I think, for transitioning is the mental side of it. You know, you have Hidetora Hanada, who is like one of the best prospects in sumo in the collegiate level in Japan, who's just given up that sport to try and make it in the NFL. But, you know, you, you look at how many DF, D1 FBS players who are extremely high-level football players never make it in the NFL? How many make it for one year and are gone? So the opportunities to play professional football are so few and far between, and the number of players who've been doing it since they were able to walk is just, you know, many, many times more than could actually ever find a place. You know, look how many players are cut from the NFL every offseason. And most of those guys would dominate everywhere else in the world. So the difference between sumo and football is the number of people doing it at a really high level. So even though somebody like Hakuho, I think, if he started football from a very young age, he obviously has the drive and the athletic traits to succeed. But whether he would succeed is harder to say because Mm. there are people of a similar talent level in football who never make it. It's just, yeah. it's, it's, you know, the 1% of the 1% of the 1%, right? Isn't that the way it goes in the high school and college and NFL? So, um, and, you know, and again, it's sometimes even that work ethic too. You know, I do recall, yeah. I remember Jeff Collins, before he went to Georgia Tech, he was at Temple who came over to Japan um, to teach, I think, a clinic. And obviously Temple University has a full campus in Japan as well, which also is funny. I'm surprised they don't have a team. That would have been kind of fitting, you know, the Temple Owls of Japan. That would have been amazing. But I know he went to a, a, a Basho and he was tweeting from there like, oh, my gosh, these guys are like perfect linemen uh, when he was watching them in their stances getting ready to hit each other. So that was one of those moments I do recall from that kind of crossover between the two. Yeah, interior offensive line and sumo. I mean, essentially, if you took off the helmets and you took off the pads, it'd be almost indistinguishable. You know, it's there's a, what they do is the same thing, more or less. You know, BJ, I have a quick question because you also, while you were a player, you were doing some coaching, correct? Um, I I helped out one year at Nichidai with my brother. Um, never really. Did it here and there, but I didn't really do it full on as I am now. You know, what led you? But actually, there's there's a good fork there because I'm going to uh, go towards the brother because your younger brother, Bronson, played DB. And except he joined you, I know, with Obik for a while, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it, but the thing that struck me is he actually moved to Japan to study at a Japanese university, uh, an exceptional one for football, Nihon Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was on that championship team, wasn't he? Yep. Yeah, he if he if they didn't win that game, I think KG, uh the college that John was talking about earlier, I think they'd oh, yeah. be on like a eight peat right now. Yeah, they're an they're an incredible yeah, organization. They're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And actually my baby brother is actually playing for Nichidai as well. Oh really? Yeah, he's an old lineman. Oh my so, gosh. With three brothers, you have a D lineman, linebacker guy that was me my my middle brother who's a db and then the baby's an old lineman i didn't know your youngest <laughs> was there that's amazing so they don't count yeah. as import players then if they were to go yeah so at the college level that that rule doesn't doesn't there's no rule on that you know the college kids the players are the players there's no like oh he's american he's japanese oh no um, i meant but if he graduates from those schools, oh yeah, they're, yeah so they're... when he graduates yeah he could go on to a roster and he wouldn't count yeah Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, my gosh. 
you know, so kind of obviously they won the title and there's a thing and I know they finally changed it. And this is one of those those quirks that, you know, most people who, who know football history and I'm sure John's obviously one of them. You know, historically, the, in the United States, there was the, the Chicago All-Star Game, which was canceled in the 70s because it got out of control. But it was a high, pardon me, a all-star college football team would play the Lombardi Trophy winner from the NFL. So the NFL champ against an all-star team. It was competitive <laughs> until the 70s. And then it got way out of control because the NFL finally just got too good. And even in Canada, like the Grey Cup was originally open to any team. And so like the University of Toronto won the first few Grey Cups. So the Rice Bowl, which was Japan's sort of title game, was the X-League champ against the college champ. Now, I know you've played in that, BJ, on the X-League side. And your, your brother also played on the college side. What was that like to participate in for you? So... My first two, my first two years, I went back to back into the Rice Bowl. Um, my first year, I had, I really didn't know what to expect. Um, it, it was a funny lead up because we were playing X League teams throughout the whole season, and my team is like, "Oh, we're gonna win this game. Oh, we're gonna win this game." We get to the Rice Bowl and we're getting ready for these college kids. I like from the coaching staff down. The whole team was nervous. And I'm like, these are little kids. You know, like, we're, we're playing against little kids, guys. Like, what are you afraid of? And the crazy thing is, my first year, we actually had to come back and win. <laughs> we had to come back. We scored with, like, so many seconds left and won that game. And then I think we, going into our next year, like, leading up to that game, first team meeting, we're getting ready for that game. Another kid from another guy from Hawaii, Frank Fernandez, who's an old line for us, gets in front of the whole team and cusses the whole team out and was like, They're little kids. What are you worried about? They're little boys. We're going to run them over. That's what we're going to do. And that, from that game on, like outside, I think of Panasonic and Ritsu Mancon, the game was never close again. And I think the gap really started to open up. And I, at one point, that game became, like, dangerous for me. Not just for me, but, for, like, going against these kids. Like, I'm not going to go out there and half-ass it because these kids are coming at me full speed, you know. And, like, yeah. The, and so, in 2020 was the last one. And, I mean, I I hit a kid, and I, I didn't even give him my all. And I he went out with a concussion. And, like, it was just like, like, why the hell are we still doing this, you know, um, from my brother's perspective, I remember him coming up to me after the game. He goes, he goes, holy shit, that was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it was the Fujitsu Frontiers that year, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, and that's when they were rolling too. And he was like, well, we're going to go out here and get our asses kicked, but we're going to go out here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hey, John, what's your perspective on this? Because obviously from a historical perspective, it was kind of a fascinating quirk to have the college champ play the X-League champ. Yeah, you know, football here kind of mirrors football in the U.S., but just you know, maybe decades or a century later. So we had the same thing, right? The, before the birth of pro football, it was all about the college game, and it wasn't really till Red Grange and the Bears did their nineteen what is it, 1926 barnstorming tour that you know pro football really started took off, and then gradually, as you guys said, like they were still able to play competitive games against college teams for decades even after that. So it wasn't really until the modern NFL after the merger 
that NFL teams pulled away from college teams and from CFL teams. I mean, they were still playing CFL teams. I think the Bears are, played the Argonauts even in the 70s, maybe? 60s, 70s? I think that was the last CFL-NFL joint games. But yeah, here... BJ called it an arms race from 2015 to 2019. So I would say probably maybe 2012 that started. But over the that previous decade, the X-League teams have gradually gotten bigger and stronger and faster. They brought in better Americans. Their one significant improvement, obviously, is the coaches. Fujitsu's entire American coaching staff is filled with guys who played and coached in the NFL and, uh, you know, FBS, the old World League of American Football, things like that. So the weight room methods and systems, the coaching, the nutrition, everything has improved. Even though it's a semi-pro league and you still have players only, like, basically training or playing at the weekends, a lot more has been done day to day. And you can see the power and speed and strength and ability of the X-League teams has just improved year on year. And the college teams were already kind of maxed out in that way because, you know, they're doing it every single day and they have like six-hour practices and that's the way it's been for decades for them. So they didn't really have space to grow or improve. They were already at the, you know, they were dominating the X-League teams or, you know, the predecessor to the X-League for decades. They were winning a lot of the Rice Bowls. They were better teams on average. But once the X-League sort of kicked into high gear over the past decade, yeah, those games went the same way as the college pro games in the States went. It just became a blowout that was less and less interesting and more and more dangerous for the young... So you'd have, you know, an 18-year-old freshman who'd only taken up football maybe six months before and was like skinny kid and he's going up against a guy who was, you know, come from an NFL training camp, you know, a month earlier. So it just the danger of injury... Uh, serious injury just became too great. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it was the right move. It's obviously, there's a little bit of sadness that that unique aspect of Japanese football where you had, you know, the Chiefs versus Alabama <laughs> kind of game, <laughs> yeah. you know, that kind of stuff is no longer there. It's it's a little bit, obviously, it's sad. But it, for the game of football and for the players involved, it was the right move. And they kept the rice ball. The interesting thing was they... They dumped the X-League Championship game, which was the Japan X-Bowl held in December. Mm -hmm. And they kept the Rice Bowl, which is always held on the 3rd of January, and just changed that into the X-League Championship game. So rather than that being like the college versus X-League champion game, it just became the X-League Championship game. And now the college season ends in December at the Koshien Bowl, which is their national championship. Right, in the Koshin Stadium, the, the famous baseball stadium where the Hanshin Tigers play. And, of course, the equivalent of the Little League or high school, high school championship. That's it. Sorry, that's the big tournament. You know, John, BJ, I want to respect your time. I mean, we could still keep going, but we've been going for an hour. I know, you know, you guys have work. It's morning over there. It's about 10.30 a.m. I'm good. I'm good for the – I have nothing on this morning. I, I cleared my schedule for this, so just, you know. And I'm Irish, so talking is in my DNA anyway, so <laughs> – that's probably where I get it from. Yeah, I'm I'm good too. My <laughs> my wife took my son to daycare, so she cleared the house out. <laughs> oh yeah, I've got you've got how, how many children do you have, BJ? I have three. I have two girls and one boy, and unfortunately, the boy takes after me. Oh, unfortunately, you know that's cool. That's so cute. I love it. That's great. You know, 
we talked a bit about it because, I mean, I, it's so funny, BJ, you're used to now playing there. And when you said, like, I, I knew what you meant when you said when you're referring to IBM. But, of course, you know, the IBM Big Blue, it, it's one of the other X-League teams. And that's one of the things, like, OBIC is an information technology company. Do most of the, are all the X-League teams named after companies or are there some that are organized differently? And I kind of always wondered, do you guys have to work for the company at all? Like, did you have to do systems integration? <laughs> but uh, you know, how, does that, how does that work? Before BJ jumps in with what it was like at OBIC, I should probably clarify that. So the way the X-League works right now, there are two types of teams. There are corporate teams and there are club teams. So even though almost every team has a sponsor, a lot of those are just sponsors that are paying for the team, but they're not actually teams of those companies. So... Fujitsu Frontiers and Panasonic Impulse, which are the two strongest teams in you know, the world, basically, outside of North America, they are company teams. So everyone who plays for those teams is an employee of either Fujitsu or Panasonic, and they work in the human resources department or the Japanese players work in all the different areas. The same for all Mitsubishi Lions. The players there all work for various parts of the Mitsubishi conglomerate. But most of the other teams are club teams. So even with IBM, IBM is a club team, OBIC as well. So their sponsor is IBM, OBIC is sponsoring Seagulls. But a lot of the players on those teams have no connection to those companies. So how much they actually do for OBIC, BJ can tell you. But with, the, with some of the other companies, there's uh, no connection at all the, the, between the players' work life and the actual sponsor company. And that's the way most... The, the, the reason that the two corporate teams are so powerful is because of their own status as company teams because they give their players basically Wednesday to practice as well. So most teams have two days a week to practice, but Fujitsu and Panasonic have three days a week to practice, which gives them, you know, 50% more practice time. And, you know, you can see that in the results. Yeah, so at OBIC, um, so it was like a... It, so OBIC was the main sponsor. The... What we did a lot for was um, another company, I, kind of like a, what would you call it? Like a, I don't know the term for it. I'm sorry. But it's a, it's part of OBIC, but just in a lower branch. But we would Like do a subsidiary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the word, yeah. Um, we would do a lot of stuff for them. Um, there, there was, the company was doing a lot of things. With, back when, you know, the tourism was, was high and things like that, all pre-COVID, um, We'd go do like, we'd go to like, uh, what was that one? We went to like a ninja park one day. We did like the samurai thing and kind of just gave like what we thought, what people would enjoy. Um, and then on the other side, during the weekdays, we'd do a lot of flag football. So we'd go to like, I'd go to like some elementaries just way out in the middle of nowhere and teach these kids flag football. And, you know, it goes back to, you know, the very first time, you know, I'm telling the kid, yeah, just run a toss. The kid looked at me sideways like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm in another country. You have no idea what this sport is. You have no idea the terminology. And I'm like, okay. Like, so that was one of the things that we were trying to do, help promote the game and then also bring in fans and, you know, kind of invite them to come watch and all that. Um, for Can I make company, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talking about what BJ was talking about, teaching uh, the kids terminology or just football in general i find it the easiest way to teach somebody that doesn't know anything about football is to start off with down and distance as soon as they can understand down and distance they can pretty much understand 
anything that you teach them about football at that point once they understand down a distance because that is from what i've seen the the toughest thing to really wrap your head around is why are you doing this why are you doing that why doesn't this happen you know it's just easier for somebody that doesn't know football to learn once they learn down a distance and the the clock it's pretty it's it's a lot simpler to teach somebody uh what is going on and and what to do and they can wrap their minds around it a lot easier i think yeah that that definitely that makes sense yeah yeah i like hey you know so one of the teams that I found fascinating, and this was years ago that the New York Times did a feature on them, but the Tokyo police have a team in the X League, don't they? Or at least they sponsor one made up of of cops. No, they're not they're not they're not just normal patrolmen. This is these guys are like SWAT. These guys <laughs> aren't just yeah. I played these guys. Um yeah, because they've made it up to yeah. they made it up to the top league. Didn't they? they used to be they used to be so the, the 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 X League used to be put in a different way where there was actually eighteen teams, and there was one year where the, the Castro Eagles they actually got up there, and we played them in a spring game. And now they weren't football skill wise, they weren't all that. But let me tell you, I got hit with a judo toss by uh, <laughs> hey, John. Your speakers on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. But um um I got So you got hit, hit by a judo toss. Man, the, the their left tackle like literally swept my leg out and threw me over his shoulder and like hit me with the e-pone. Like he slammed me. And I looked at him and I was like, "Yo, you can't do that." And he was like, "Sorry." He was and he literally told me he's like, "My instincts kicked in." And I was like, "Yeah, you definitely shouldn't be out here. You could kill me." <laughs> like I mean, they're they're good guys and stuff like that. But when I found out, like, like we were like, what? We're gonna go play some some police officers, you know? I thought like longest yard and things like that. I was kind of laughing. My dad's a police officer back in Honolulu, and I kind of like, hey, dad, I'm about to go beat up on some cops, you know? And he kind of texted back like, they're gonna kick your ass. <laughs> he wasn't lying. So well, I they, should probably they, add in as well if you've got any anime fans or people who like Ghost in the Shell, if you know Ghost in the Shell, so that um, that anime was centered around a fictional police department called uh, Section Nine, the Mobile R- Riot Armored Police. But actually, the the Tokyo Metropolitan Police Eagles are the Section Nine <laughs> department. So they're mo- they're uh, the Ghost in the Shell. Uh, anime is modeled around that police department. So they're the ones that BJ is actually playing football against. You know, I should ask, you know, just because whenever sometimes we'd either tweet about it or a post would appear on Reddit about college football in Japan, people who who tend to know, you know, manga and, and anime would mention Eyeshade 21, Eyeshield 21. Have either of you, are either of you familiar with that? Or is it? Yep. Yep. I watch it on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it's a it's you know it's funny though like there's a it's a it's pretty long too it's a pretty long series but like the one thing I love watching about sports anime right is they make it they make it very over the top dramatic you know and then some of the skills that like these guys can do you know it's kind of like dang I wish I could play football like that but no it's a, it's a pretty good anime and yeah if you know I wish it would help oh, blow this thing up more here. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I get a kick out of using some of those, uh, those, some clips I'll make of that, especially that I think it's like the QB with the machine gun, which is just so weird, but it's, it's delightful and it gets people's attention. When we want to draw some attention to what's going on on the Japanese game, you know, I wanted to also just kind of follow up again. So your brothers are both came here, are here being Japan to study. Did that, how much influence did you have in that? Um, so with Bronson, you know, I, I'm, I'm the big brother, right? And I've always been the one that kind of wants to look out for them and take care of them and things like that. Um, Bronson, unfortunately, wasn't able to go to the Division One like I was. Talented, you know, but, um, you know, his, his focuses were otherwhere and his school scores weren't all that great. And he was at home really doing nothing. And I get a, I had a conversation with one of my coaches at Obe. Hey, Nichida is looking for a DB. Do you know one? And I was like, my little brother. And that's how that conversation came along. And um, with my baby brother, um, you know, he got to, he went to Adam State uh, for one semester. And, oh, sure. Yeah. And it, it's a, you know, college in America, right, is, is tough. And he, it was in a scholarship, you know, like I was very lucky to get everything fully paid for. Um, you know, my mom and dad do the best they can. We're not, we're not poor, but, you know, to pay the tuition, right, that's a stretch for my parents where the tuition here at Nichida is nowhere near what he would pay. And so that was kind of where that opportunity opened up. And I went, it was a different coaching staff from when my brother Bronson was there. But I went over to the coaching staff and was like, hey, could my brother come here? Is that an opportunity? And they were like, yeah, you know. And it wasn't me telling them, you know, come here. It's like, look, it's an opportunity for you to go to school. It's an opportunity for you to still play football. And it's an opportunity for who knows what. I was like, you know, football's football's the tool. I was like, football's not the end game. Use football to get to where you want to go. So that was kind of, it was their choice at the end. I just kind of was like, what do you think about this? Not so much like no, you're you're gonna go to Japan. It, I I I I didn't have that, so I didn't want to do that to them. So I know you've decided to enter the coaching ranks yourself at the University of Tokyo. What led to that decision? <laughs> that was that was a blessing. Um, you know, you talked about Ikaika earlier getting cut from Obik, and uh, sadly, I joined that group and it wasn't something I was planning on and I was kind of in a, well, I'm done playing because I didn't want to play for anybody else. I wanted to go out with my teammates and cause I was planning to retire at the end of this year. Anyway, however the season played out, I just wanted to go one last, one last round with my guys and that didn't happen. And so I just reached out to, um, I, in 2020, actually, a couple kids from the University of Tokyo reached out to me on Instagram. And they're like, hey, BJ, would you would you mind, like, helping us? And I was like, well, with everything, right? I was like, yeah, like, let's do, let's meet on Zoom. Let's go over film. Let's break down some stuff, you know. And I built a connection there. Um, one of the, what would you call him? He was kind of a GA for us at Obik. And he was from the University of Tokyo. He's one of those kids I helped. 
And I just reached out to him. I was like, hey, what do you think Morisan would let me come on and coach? And, like, I kid you not, I think within, like, an hour, I got a message back. He was like, yeah, here's, here's his phone number. Here's his email. And at the time, I was talking to – I was actually talking to Kyoto, too. I, I was talking to their GM, Miwa-san. And he was trying to figure some things out. With Right now, with Japan and COVID, they, they didn't want – the school didn't want me coming from the Tokyo area down to Kyoto, just with everything with COVID still. And so I sat down with Morisan and I, I had a I had a resume ready. I had my philosophies ready. I had like I give my D lineman tests every game after every game for our next opponent. Um, I had that already. And he said, I don't want to see any of it. And he said, I just want to know where your head and where your heart's at and I mean, I've, yeah, that's how that led. I mean, I, I knew I always wanted to coach, you know, the games taught me so much and I just want to give that back. So that's how that all happened. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's been an up and down. It's been a learning process at the university of Tokyo. So. That's fascinating. How, how are college programs organized in Japan? That all depends on the program. Um, at the university of Tokyo, we're lucky. So our, our head coach, our DC and our OC are full-time. So comparatively, we have a lot more coaches at practice than some other colleges. Um, there's also a lot of student, uh, what would you call them? They'd be kind of like fifth-year seniors or grad students who are also out there helping and aiding. And like, you know, there's, there's so much staff and as far as coaches, though, I mean, having the big three, right, having your big three there are huge. And it's structured. I mean, um, they obviously can't be everywhere. So we don't have in the individual coaches there at every at every practice. Um, I, I am only going there on Saturday and Sundays. I meet virtually with them um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursdays. So are the players like, is it like, I mean, because obviously we know how American athletics tend to be organized, especially, for example, at, you know, the NCAA or NAIA level. Are the programs there more like super duper clubs or are they more formally integrated into the university? Oh, no, no, no. They're all part of the school. So, I mean, I have, you know, sometimes um, I won't have kids at practice because they have class. And obviously right at the end. So at the University of Tokyo, there's one field that we all really have to share. And we have to share it with the soccer team and the lacrosse team, both male and female lacrosse teams, both male and female soccer teams. So sometimes our practice schedule might fall on the same time as a as a a kid's class or something. He might have something. So yeah, that's one of the challenges. But I mean, there's 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 a lot of people out there, a lot more than you would think. Um, staff people with the cameras there's another interesting thing is so at the university of tokyo we can't really recruit kids so we're not getting these kids you know funneled into us from college um just to make it simple so my four freshmen um two were ping pong players one was a swimmer and one was a rugby player so and these are d linemen and they're gonna be d linemen Mm -hmm. And I'm, yeah, but they, the, so the freshmen actually don't practice with us because a lot of these kids are learning the game for the first time. They actually have a separate practice and there's freshmen coaches and 
you know, those coaches are getting these kids right on their fundamentals and just learning, right? Like, um, I took one weekend where I literally took all four of them and just taught them a three-point stance and, and helped to balance them out and just put them in the right position just to start, right? Because if your stance is bad before the play, there's very low percentage of you likely to do well on that. And so, yeah, that's one of the other challenges at the University of Tokyo is, you know, I have a lot of these kids only started, my seniors only started playing football four years ago. So, and how good they are for within those four years is amazing. Mm -hmm. So for a team like KG, you know, down oh. in Kobe, you know, do they just have like a good, I mean, cause I know there's like a high school team that's got a yep. similar name. Is that how they do it? Are they just sort of teams that yep. are like funneling? Yeah, that's a factory. So there are some high so there are some colleges. I know Nichidai has one, Jose has one, Waseda has one where the they have a high school team that does funnel the kids um into their college program. Sometimes the kids are obviously right, they go to different programs and things like that. But um yeah, KG KG's a factory. I mean, you just they're pumping kids left and right. And yeah, I mean, some of the colleges do, they're lucky enough to have those high school programs that, that run up into their college programs as well. Yeah. I remember Westside had a guy from Chico, California, who ended up going through there and, and I think he joined the, the X league at one point, but that was a while ago. Yeah, no, man, that's fascinating to, to hear that, especially because there's like two major conferences from what I understand the Kanto, which is obviously the Tokyo Yokohama region and the Kansai and I'm probably mangling it which is, you know, Kyoto, Kobe, Osaka area, and then the rest. Because it's funny when you see that tournament that erupts. It's like basically a bunch of, uh, a bunch of Goliaths wrecking little teams, and it's those two teams that end up playing. Or at least I think, the gosh, Kansai has like an at-large bid for the other, you know, the, for the runner-up. So it, it really, the, uh, there's a lot of teams that play, but it seems like there's like 16 teams that are really good at college football in Japan, from what I've observed. So they have um, changed the system from this year. So essentially, it's every conference champion will go into a direct knockout for that. So in the previous years, yeah, if you finished first, second or third in Kansai, you would end up in that uh, sort of national playoff championship and the top team from or top two teams from Kanto area. So you could probably say the Kansai one is essentially the SEC of Japan. And the Kanto one, which is based around Tokyo, is probably like the Big Ten or something like that. That's that's probably the closest way you could uh, do it. But then you have a whole host of other, you know, uh, Mid-Atlantic Conference and stuff like that. So that so basically, what you have is you have the winner of every conference uh, just goes into a straight knockout tournament, and but. The winners of the Kanto and Kansai, so what I said were like the SEC and the Big Ten, they go straight into the semifinal. So all the other teams will play off then and then they will end up playing the two winners um, in the semifinal. And obviously they're going to lose to them because no other team from any other conference has ever made it to a Koshien Bowl and this is the 77th year. So the, the power difference is even more dramatic in Japan. Basically, the, the two urban areas, the one centered around Tokyo and the one centered around the Kyoto, Osaka, Kobe area, which is Kansai, they are the two centers of power in Japan. 
the Tokyo one is probably better at the X-League level. That's where most of the strong teams are. But at the collegiate level, the Kansai area is absolutely dominant. And so the way things stand right now, before that tournament even gets underway, you still have all the conferences running their own tournaments. You, The Kanto one, uh, it's going into like the second group stage. But the way it's set up, BJ's team, Tokyo University, still has an outside chance. But essentially, you have Waseda, Big Bears, and Jose Orange, which are the two teams that uh, finished their original groups unbeaten. They, they would have to lose all of their games and then tie with each other for another team to actually qualify. So essentially, one of those two teams is going to end up in the Koshien Bowl this year. And then from Kansai, you have KG Fighters, who obviously are you know the dominant power in Japan. And Ritsumeikan, who's always been like number two to them, and Kansai Kazu's uh, one of the teams that you featured in your viral tweet. Yeah, um, one of those three, probably KG, but uh, I think the Kaisers are looking really good this year. They might actually make it back. They haven't won; they've only won two titles. I think forty-seven in two thousand and nine. So they might be. They're angling for a third one this year. They're looking good, but you're probably one of those three teams versus either Waseda or Jose is going to be your Koshien Bowl final this year. And as with the X-League, a lot of the games are fairly predictable in advance. So, mm. You know, guys, I mean, I'm going to go ahead and slowly start wrapping it up because I feel bad that we've kept you guys on for an hour and a half. This has been a really interesting conversation. But before we do, I'd love to hear from both of you. Where can we find your work? Where can we find you on social media, your writings? I know, for example, BJ, by the way, I just watched Playing for Sushi, I think I watched the first episode, I guess, episode zero on YouTube that the X-Leaks produced with you. And I enjoyed that a lot, by the way. But tell us, tell our listeners where they can find you guys and, you know, wherever. John, please go ahead. We'd love to hear from you. So you can find me sumo-wise, the Japan Times. I have a weekly column there inside sumo, which is uh, online every Wednesday night in Japan. Uh, NHK, which is the national... TV station be like the ABC, NBC kind of thing of Japan. I do a lot of stuff there on the Sumo, the live broadcasts, uh, NBC, uh, NHK World. We do preview shows. You can find stuff on that as well. Inside Sport Japan, the media company I set up. If you're interested in Sumo, Gridiron, and Rugby, we cover those three sports. Probably though, for your your listeners and viewers in the states. There's a lot of stuff coming up on Apple TV. I've been doing a lot of stuff with Apple, various shows that are due to come out uh, starting probably in January. And there's some major new series that I still can't talk about because they have NDAs on them, uh, sport-related shows that should be uh, the next version of The Last Dance, shall we say. That might be coming out uh, next year on Apple TV in the US, so you should see me on that. And BJ, how about yourself? Yeah, so I mean, you know, you can find me here on Twitter. Uh, I come on here every now and then and just have some fun with it. Um, I have, so if you want to follow any of the stuff I'm doing on football, uh, I'm actually, so I coach at University of Tokyo and I actually hold my own. I'm actually having one later tonight. Um, I do defensive line clinics as well. And I pretty much, I don't, I don't care whatever high school, college, ex-league team you go to, um, but if you want to follow that Instagram, it's BJ underscore BD23. And then also my other Instagram, my personal one, my family, me being a goofball and stuff with my kids, my wife, uh, is Buffalo Soja, S-O-J-A. Um, long story on that nickname. 
And then, yeah, I mean, you know, you talked about the show for YouTube, Playing for Sushi. You know, it's something I'm excited to to start to be a part of. Um, it's not an opportunity I thought that would ever exist for me. And I'm glad the X League has entrusted me with it. Um, honored, not excited, you know, and just kind of honored. For those unfamiliar, what's what's the show about? What are the, what, the web series? Yeah, so, so because I – actually, we talk about it in the next episode – um, and episode one, I'll talk about it. But the way the title came up, sorry, I want to put this out there. Is a, I'm sure every, if you don't know, there's a book called Playing for Pizza by John Grisham. And I was told to read that book when I went and when I first came over to Japan. But it's helped me kind of navigate things. But the, the series is going to be about just the players, um, the American players, and the experiences that they've had in Japan. Um, just kind of giving, you know, more in-depth look of the things that they've, uh, their lives, kind of where they started, how they got to Japan, talking about where they see Japan football right now, um, and then even talking about things that could help improve the game, where, where they see things that that would need to happen to help the game grow. And, you know, it's it, it, it's where I'm aiming to just try and help bring more English into the X-League. Um, I know I've talked about even bringing English commentary in broadcasting, um, you know, baby steps and things like that. I'm trying, I'm trying my best because I think, you know, like me and John have talked about the X League has so much potential. I think there's, there is a good product here. It's just, we need to show it and market it more to guys like you guys, people listening here, you know, I think people would enjoy seeing the quality of football that is played here. Absolutely. You know, I've even obviously the X League is a whole level above, but even watching some of the Division One Kansai games, you know, they're, they're entertaining. And I'm always wondering, like, what on earth? Why doesn't ESPN just pay a, a small license fee and just throw those on in the middle of the night? Because it's not like they're playing anything on ESPNU at two in the morning. You know, <laughs> get some get some folks who are, you know, either really up late at night or, you know getting really into it or up super early in the morning watching some of that and you know hey this is fun this is football and hey it's live and also you know one of the things about it is you have if people can see ian park is here you know ian spent time with the philadelphia eagles he was at northwestern we talked earlier about devon garner you know there are guys who would be very very well known to college football fans in the u.s that are still playing and in a lot of cases, they don't realize that these guys that they followed in college are still actually playing in Japan. And I'm sure there's a lot of people in the States that would be interested in seeing how their careers are going as they continue it. So, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, Ian, some other guys who are here as well, you could have them on in the future as well. And uh, it would be good to spread the word and, and get, you know, get past that barrier that's always existed with the language, with football yeah. in Japan. Absolutely. We'd love to do that. We'd love to be part of that. I think that's important. And before I also forget, I wanted to, to mention, I would, neither of you think mentioned Gridiron Japan. That was the whole... <laughs> I think oh, that was I was about to one. say something. I know Greg's yeah. been listening. So yeah, I mean, we do, yeah, we have a podcast with uh, one of the listeners right now with Greg James, John. John John is always a busy man, but you know, he's he's always making time to talk with us and we have our, our podcast that's going and we talk about the football and you know, it, it's it's the perfect blend because Greg is like that football historian, 
in all aspects. John's the the football historian and just overall knowledge here in Japan. And then I'm kind of like the the player that gives the X's and O's and the spicy takes every now and then, huh, John? I'm the person who talks about it, but you're the person who's actually done it. That's the difference. Yeah, yeah but you know, we we have some fun with it, and you know, I gave a spicy uh spicy take this week, and. You know, we'll see how it goes. I've gotten some interesting messages about it afterwards, but they got to prove it to me otherwise. So, <laughs> yeah, that's it's, a good, uh, that's it's, a good it's trio. It's been good having BJ in the media world. You know, he's uh, especially as he said, he got cut, so that gives him plenty of motivation to <laughs> <laughs> to lay into people left, right, and center. Not that he uh-uh. needed it anyway. He's he's not a guy who. Uh, who needs much encouragement when gets time to speak the truth or speak his mind. So it's it's been really refreshing to have BJ um, come on and actually tell it how it is. So got to appreciate the fact that he's in the media world now. I know we do. This has been a great conversation. Well, John and BJ, thanks so much for joining us. This has been a great talk. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll try to work it again some other time. Maybe in the offseason, we'll have another repeat or maybe even before, I don't know, the, the Rice Bowl or something. That'll be real fun to, to get back together and talk and see how things are going. Well, that's all the time we have right now. This was RCFB Talk 96. We talked about Japan's football scene with BJ Beattie and John Gunning. On behalf of myself, Bob Akairi, on behalf of my co-host, J.D. Moore, thank you all for joining us. Have a great night. Now, Or a great morning if you're over in Japan. Now, I'm going to hang up and listen.